We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to Boca Raton Community Church. And a big thank you to Bill Hood III last week. Didn't he do a great job? Our newest pastor of our, in our church. And the week before that, Matthew, who always does a great job. Thank you. Can we thank Matthew? So next week is Mother's Day. Just giving you a heads up, guys. If you didn't know that, it's Mother's Day. The week after, we're going to begin a new series in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We've come out of the book of Mark, as you know, finished it two weeks ago. Matthew gave us the last portion of that. And we've been doing two studies simultaneously. Once a month, we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. What does it really mean to, in understanding what a disciple is? And how do we make disciples? And why are we making disciples? So today we're going to talk about that as well, do the fifth part of that. And remember, we talk about this in Church Lead, which is our disciple-making process here at the church. And all our groups are going through this. And what we want to do is develop disciple-making leaders. In other words, we are here to make disciples so that the next generation can make disciples as well, both spiritually generational and, of course, our physical generations that they come together. Yesterday you saw, did anybody see the coronation yesterday? Anybody watch that? Okay, I'm not a monarchist, but I do love a little pomp and circumstance every once in a while. And it was a generational thing. We hadn't seen it in my lifetime. It was 70 years ago since the last coronation of a monarch in Great Britain. It was quite interesting. A couple of things that were interesting about it was how biblical the words were. I don't know if you noticed that it still used the biblical words. And yet what was interesting about it, at the very end, they quoted the Lord's Prayer, which is very normal in an Anglican setting to pray the Lord's Prayer, and nobody knew it. They all looked down at their reader because they had the book that, you know, had all the readings in it for the whole morning. It was, a, it was really a book, not a booklet like you get in an Anglican uh, church service, but it was a book, and they were going through it as various things were happening. And when the Archbishop of Canterbury said, let's close in the Lord's Prayer, everybody had to look down. Now, what's interesting, if that was a generation ago in an Anglican country, they would have been able to recite it by heart. Not that reciting it by heart makes you a believer or anything, but it lets you know that there is at least some sense of belief inside something there, and everybody's head went down. I was just, I was amazed by it. But anyway, um, we're here because we believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Correct? Amen. And we believe what the Lord prayer says that Jesus taught us to pray. So we want to pass it on to the next generation, spiritually and physically to them. So how do we do this? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 is the verse that we use, and I've been quoting it every time, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. So what is a disciple? We keep talking about being a disciple. A disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple can be an eight-year-old girl or boy. It can be an 80-year-old person. It could be someone who comes to Christ at the end of the day, like the thief on the cross. It could be someone who grew up in the church and had been a part of the church all their life, like me. 
all kinds of different people, but we are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. At this church, we look at five ways that we show or we play this out. The first one is this, that we as followers of Jesus Christ love and share Jesus. We talked about that, and if you weren't here, I had a whole sermon on this five months ago, because we're doing this monthly, loving and sharing Jesus. The second part is about calling, that we live out our calling, that God has called each one of us, and we live that out. The third has to do with character. And this, remember I talked about, everybody talks about their calling and very few people talk about their character. And so when you see someone in the church fall or someone like a leader fall, so many times their calling is like this and their character is like this. And the character needs to be up equal to the call. And that's important to know. The fourth one is this community, that we live in community. The middle part of our name is what? Boca Raton Community Church. And we talk about what is community, and we'll look a little at that. And then the fourth one, or the fifth one, excuse me, is using our gifts. This is the one we're going to talk about today. What does it really mean to use your gifts? What are the gifts? How do we use the gifts? Why do I even need to use gifts? Aren't you all paying me to use my gifts, and you fund the gifts? No. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what I want to do is I want to show you a very short video of one of our partners, our missionary partners in Zambia, Southern Africa. We've been talking a lot about Zimbabwe and the work in the school. Zambia is the country adjacent to it. And one of our partners was here when we were doing the first one of these four months ago, five months ago, and really embraced understanding this. Let's watch this video. Greetings, saints at Boca Raton Community Church. I'm Joseph Mbange from Zambia, serving with Awana, but also in the pastoral leadership of Evangelic Commission's chapels in Zambia, where I'm serving also as a, as a pastor. I want just to share an appreciation and a testimony of uh, how the leadership in our church has appreciated the process that we shared with them after our worldly summit. That is the disciple-making journey process. Our church leadership during our leadership retreat, prayer and planning settled on adopting the process, the disciple making journey process as the official and the formal process that we'll be using for discipleship throughout the denomination but also at the local church. We are very, very excited and thrilled. This was adopted unanimously and there were no questions, no what, and I'm just so excited. Thank you for allowing and sharing this amazing God-ordained resource to us. We are very grateful, thank you. Isn't that great to see that? In a whole group of churches down in Zambia, Southern Africa, it's wonderful. And Joseph has been a part of our church and part of our missionary team for over 12 years. And to see what we're doing here, he's doing. So what is it we're doing? So over the last few months, and this month of May will be the last installment of this, is that We've had a teaching here on Sunday morning, and then we have a teaching that every group, if you're in a group, you will have, and different people have led it, Cameron and Carl and Bill Hood and uh, others have been leading that, and Elizabeth is doing this one 
uh, this teaching that you'll see on video, and I've asked her to come and just do the first little part of it to get our appetite whetted on what we're doing, and then I'm going to open the scriptures in just a moment. So Elizabeth, come and share with us. Sure. Good morning, church family. Lovely to see all of you. We'll be in Romans 12, verse 1 to 13 in a little bit. But before I read that to you, I just want to give you a few reminders on using your gifts. Since we call ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that means we need to actually follow what he tells us in his word. And there is a non-negotiable mandate uh, all through scripture, but particularly in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, that says to us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let me repeat that for you. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I think um, if Peter, who wrote that, lived in our day, he might put that on a t-shirt for us. And it might say, and I think it would be a bestseller, just use it. But we have something much better than a t-shirt, don't we? We have God's word, much more profound. And all through scripture, there are examples of men and women who did that who used their gifts, who realized they had a spiritual gift and didn't just sit on it and put it in a back corner. But they used it and changed the world they live in, and they're still changing our world because we get to learn from them. The great apostle Paul had the spiritual gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism, the gift of wisdom, and we are so much better because he used those gifts. Moses had the gift of leadership. Abigail, if you're not familiar with her story, had the great gift of discernment when her family was about to be annihilated. God gave her wisdom and discernment to move quickly, and she saved her entire family from being destroyed by David. Esther had the beautiful gift that we underrate of hospitality. And she set a banquet table twice for a critical conversation to occur. And the entire nation of Israel was saved when she used her gift. Mary, the mother of Christ, had the gift of faith. And we see how she so willingly received the very large assignment she was handed by the angel Gabriel. We studied Mary Magdalene over Easter and looked at her life. She had the gift of generosity, the gift of service, the gift of mercy, and she poured it out on the Lord Jesus Christ while he lived and even after he had died. And then Barnabas in the early church had the gift of exhortation, and he actually encouraged the apostle Paul. And so all of us, no matter how little our gift might seem in our eyes, is able to build up the communities we live in, build up the church. God says, I've given you a gift. Don't hide it. Just use it. I wonder where our world would be if all those great men and women in Scripture chose not to use their gifts. 
And just like that, I wonder where our world and our church and our communities will be if you and I choose not to use our gifts. May we not find that out. May we actually use them for his sake and for his glory. Let's read together in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Amen. Thank you, Liz. That Romans 12 is a great passage, and as uh, Bill, the other pastor Bill, said last week, he said, whenever you see in the Bible a therefore, very simply ask, why is it there for? And so there are four therefores, major ones, in the book of Romans. And if you haven't read the book of Romans lately, you should look at it and read it again and read it in its entirety. It would take you maybe an hour to read the whole book. And it really lets us understand the gospel, understand the need. And it's in four waves or four, we have, there's 16 chapters, but it's really four chapters that are in the book of Romans. The first one is a therefore that comes in Romans 3 verse 20 that says, for therefore by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It tells us in the first three chapters of the book of Romans that we are sinners. This is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts with the reality that every human being is a sinner. We have sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, another verse in Romans, and the wages of those sin, 
of that sin is death. Now, it's interesting, it starts there in Romans 3. Then if you go to Romans 5, just a couple of chapters over, there's another therefore, and the therefore in Romans 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What it says there is that our sin in chapter three and one through three is cause of death, but Jesus Christ came, and the gospel is this, that he came to give us life, and if we believe in him and have faith in him, then we are justified and we are freed from the sin that was priorly spoken of. That's the gospel, we all know this, we get it, we're done, we realize it, and that we think is the whole story. But that only takes us to chapter five of a 16 chapter book on salvation. So what else is there? Well, chapter eight tells us this. Chapter eight, verse one, it's fantastic and we skip this so many times. It says there that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, we are condemned because of our sin. We have been justified, chapter five, and following, we are justified by Jesus Christ. And because we have been justified and given that life, there is no more any condemnation. The condemnation that we receive is gone because of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. If, if you were to say, if I were to ask you, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You, and you said yes, and I said, what does that mean? You would say some version of what I just said, that I'm a sinner, Christ died for me, and I am no longer under the condemnation of sin. You might use different words, different ways, whatever the language of the day might be, but that's what you're saying. But we need to realize we're only in chapter eight of a 16 chapter book. There's something else there. And chapter 12 takes us to it. And it says there in chapter 12, verse one, that Elizabeth just read, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's just told us that Jesus Christ in the previous 11 chapters, that Jesus Christ presented himself as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, and he died for his sacrifice and then rose again. And Paul is saying, I appeal to you that you are a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Usually we think of sacrifices when someone sacrifices, they die. He's saying, I want you to be an alive sacrifice. And so this is what we begin to talk about, that there's a purpose for why we are here after all this stuff that Jesus did for us. And I say that in theological terms, stuff is a theological word. You might not have known that, but it is. All the things surrounding it, all the good things that God has done for us, he is calling us to belief and faith Jesus, uh, Elizabeth just read that, but also to do something about it. And here's where the rub happens. We get to this point and we get all of this because we're followers of Jesus and we don't do this because we say, oh, that means good works gets me to heaven. That means my goodness gets me to heaven. And we think if we try to be good, that it's bad. Good is good, good is not bad. And he has called us to do something. 
and he's even given us the gifts to do what he's called us to do. That's what this passage is about. So let's talk about this for a little bit. So what are spiritual gifts or these gifts that Elizabeth talked about? She named a few in other people throughout the scriptures, Paul and Barnabas and Abigail and Esther, etc. But spiritual gifts are special abilities given by God that enable you to accomplish his work. It's not the gifts for you to accomplish your work, it's for you to accomplish his work. We have this belief that God has called all of us to be here, that's what we talked about a couple of months ago, he's called us all to be here for a purpose. And when that purpose is done, that's the end. And your purpose to be done is different than my purpose to be done. We had a a family member of the church die this weekend. And a part of our family, she died. Her purpose on this earth was done on Friday night. I didn't pick Friday night. She didn't pick Friday night. The children and grandchildren didn't pick Friday night. It was picked. God picked it. It's done. Her work on earth is done. But until that happens, each of us has a work to do. And it's called gifts, spiritual gifts. Now, let me start out. I always like to get the negative out of the way. So what are spiritual gifts not? Bad English, but what are they not? Number one, spiritual gifts are not the Holy Spirit. He gives the gifts, and yes, he is a gift in that sense, but he is not a spiritual gift. He is God. He gives the spiritual gifts to us. Some people say, I have the gift of the Spirit. I go, I don't know about that. We all have the Spirit if we're believers. People people take that a little too far as if they now have a direct line to God different than everybody else. We have a direct line with God through his prayer and through the Scriptures. But please understand, the Holy Spirit is not, he is a gift to us, but he is not the gift. Number two, The fruit of the Spirit. Some people say, I have the gift of love. I have the gift of joy. I have the gift of patience. Well, that is a gift in that sense, but it's not a spiritual gift. All of us should have love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and self-control. This is something we should all have. It's not like this is the loving group, and that's the good group, and that's the patient group, and that's the self-controlled group. We should all have that because that's the fruit that comes out of being in the spirit, which is being a believer. Do you, I hope you believe that, that each of us should have that. And so we shouldn't say, I'm not loving, but it doesn't matter, I don't have the gift of love. I'm not joyful. I don't have to be joyful because I don't have the gift of joy. Bill and Elizabeth are always so joyful. That's their gift. No, that's the gift of the spirit, of the fruit that we have because we're followers of Christ. Number three, Spiritual disciplines are not the gifts. Now, so you might say, I have the spiritual gift of reading the Bible. Well, that's not a spiritual gift. We've been called to read the Bible. Every single one should be reading the Bible. Every single one should be praying. Every single one should be doing these disciplines, solitary time with the Lord, uh, sharing Christ. All the, we should all be doing this. These are the disciplines of being a believer. But, and I'm being a little facetious here, but please understand, don't say that you have the gift of reading. And if you can't read, there's audible books. 
I know there's some people that don't read and I'm not making fun of that. They just don't read and I'm fine with that. Get an audible book. They're all free now. You can get the Bible on any version, anytime you want. We'll tell you how to do it. Go in the back and they'll tell you exactly how to do it. It's easy. So you can get the Bible, even if you don't read. You can get it because that's not a spiritual gift. That's just God's gift to all of us. And then finally, the fourth is this, natural abilities. We need to be careful that we don't assign spiritual gifts to natural abilities. And that's an art. Somebody goes, uh, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I want to run the books of the church. I'm a good singer. I want to lead worship. I'm a good organizer. I want to be an elder of the church. I teach children at school. I want to lead children. Now, they may be the same. You may have both a natural ability and a spiritual gift in the same area. I don't disagree with that. But please understand, they're not necessarily the same thing. And that's why it's amazing how you see people involved in things that maybe they don't do in their regular job. The regular job is this, but they do something else at church because their spiritual gift is different. Now, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Can I just give you three simple ones? Number one, it's for unity. Chapter 12, verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so though many, we are one. The problem with the church today is that we're not one. We're a hundred Oh, I, don't dis I disagree with you. You go over there, I'll go over here. Well, there's a sense that we need to have unity. And when we're using the gifts, there becomes a unity that is attached according to the scriptures. Number two, purpose of the gifts is to serve. Serve. It takes service to do church. To do the organized church, it takes service. And to do the church universal, it takes service. God has called us to serve. Starting in verse 6, and Elizabeth read it, if you have the gift of prophecy, do it. If you have the gift of serving, serve. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, exhort, verse 8. If you have the gift of generosity, contribute. If you have the gift of leading, do it with zeal. If you have the gift of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Whatever it is, do it. People don't realize, because you walk in here on Sunday morning, it takes anywhere from 50 to 100 people to do this service. Now, five of us get paid. You pay us to do it. But the other 95 of you are not paid. As my friend used to say, we're paid to be good and you're good for nothing. You don't get paid to be good. That's a joke. I know jokes don't cross cultural. That's a, that's, that's a theological joke. You are good because God has called you to be good and you use your gift because it is needed. We could not run this little congregation, it's not so little, 1,200 people without probably during the entire week 250 people. There are dozens of people below us right now underneath. I can't, you can't hear them, but I can. It comes through here, the stage. I hear the kids because their stage is right below this stage. There's 140 kids down there. There's 40 or 50 adults down there just for that. 
plus all the ones that have helped here that you have been served by. Then the ones who are in the Spanish church, the international church this afternoon, the youth groups, the student groups, the other groups, et cetera. And that's not even talking about the school yet. We haven't even gotten to the school. Hundreds more. It takes people to do this. I look at you. We've got people that go visiting. We have people that do all kinds of things. And most of it is not seen. But it would not exist without you. You see, a few of us are in front of people and you think, well, those are the better gifts. Those are the greater gifts. The answer is no, they're not. They're just gifts that have a microphone attached to it. Every gift is important. Your gift is just as important as my gift. I may have the gift of teaching or the gift of leading or whatever. That's good. But it is no better than the other gifts because it takes every gift to make unity happen. And then the third area is the results, the growth. We want to see the church grow. We want to see people individually grow. It's going to happen because you and I are working and helping and assisting and using the gifts God has given us. If we don't use our gifts, as Elizabeth said, what would happen? We don't know what we would miss. Last week, Bill Hood III came up, gave his uh, sermon, kind of his ordination sermon, and we told you we had a, um, a time together with about 12 of us where we interviewed him. He wrote a paper of um, about a 20-page paper describing everything, and we were able to see his beliefs and his philosophy and his testimony. I know his testimony because I've known the family for years, but there's two people that humanly brought Jesus into the Hood family. Two people. If those two people 40 years ago never shared Christ, the first two rows of this church would be empty. One of the leaders of the school wouldn't be there. One of our leaders, actually probably five of our leaders here at the church, not five, probably eight of our leaders of the church in various parts would not be here. Because two people shared Christ with Bill's grandfather. And Christ came into the Hood family because two people shared Christ. Is that amazing? Just two people. Just two people. And Christ came. I know the testimony of my mother, how she came to Christ and her father and mother, and Christ came into our family because of the testimony of one person. Now, I'm sure there were others, and I don't know about I wasn't there. But Christ came into our family, at least as I know it, through one person who was willing to share. Can you imagine how many people we've missed because we didn't do it? But I'm not worrying about that. I'm saying, let's do it. So now you go, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what, how do I get it? What is it? Where is it? Can we just look at that for a couple of minutes? How to discover your spiritual gift. It's in here, very simple. Number one, pray. Right at the end when Elizabeth was reading, it said, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Begin with praying, God, what is it you want me to do? What is it that I can do? What is it that I should do? So I have a lot of fun. When you're the leader, you can do certain things that other people can't do. So I get to walk up here whenever I want to. 
And I get to sing with these incredible people who sing. I do not have the gift of leading that kind of thing. I don't have the gift of singing. I don't have any of those gifts. So I tell David in the back, turn off my microphone, and I'm going to sing as loud as I want to, and you're not going to hear me because all these great singers are up here, but I get to have the joy of doing it. But it's not my gift. If I stood up here and led, and I could do one or two songs, I could do the simple ones, but this complex stuff that they're doing nowadays with all the harmony and the beauty of it and all the rest, I couldn't do it. It's not my gift. And you go, well, you're very talented. You're very gifted. I am, but I'm not gifted in that. If you ask me to run the children's ministry of this church, I love children. I've got five of them. We've got grandchildren. I, we love children, Elizabeth. But don't ask me to run the children's ministry. I just don't have that gift. I could sub into it. I could do it occasionally. But others of you come to me and go, I just want to be with the kids. I go, yes. They need Jesus. That's a gift. Pray. Second of all, it says have faith. What does it say there in verse 3? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. This is a beautiful thing. God has given you the gifts. God has given you the faith to understand your gifts. So it's really not about you. Have the faith and go, I'm praying, Lord, tell me what it is you want me to do. What is it we should do? If you're a couple, what is it you should do? If you're a family, what is it we should do? And have the faith to do it. Number three, and this is key, and what did you say, Liz? Just do it? No, that's not what you said. Just use it. Just use it. Okay, just do it. We'd get a copyright problem in that one. But just do it. Go out and serve. God has called each of us to serve according to the proportion of gifts that he has given us. All of us, every one of us. Can you imagine? This is, this is the thing I just would love. I imagine this, that instead of 200 people serving at this church, there's 1,200 people serving at this church. 1,200. There's 1,200 of us here. You know, when you add everybody up all over the place, it's, there's 1,200 of us. Those of you online, oh, it's more than 1,200 when you add all the online people. Can you imagine every one of us are serving, somewhere doing something? I think Boca Raton would be changed if there were 1,200 people out there all week long doing something with their spiritual gift out there. It would just be fantastic. Number four, and this is key and important, listen to counsel. The Bible, throughout the Bible, it talks about um, the wisdom of others, the wisdom of groups, the wisdom of understanding. I've had to tell people, and you know, they talk, I go, maybe that's not your gift, but I see you're gifted over here. You're gifted to do that. That is not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. You know, just go serve. You need to just go serve. You go, I don't know what my gift is. Start doing something and seeing. You got to get that ship moving. 
Get it moving, and then you can turn it to where it needs to go. And then listen to counsel. There's a great, in verse 16, we didn't read all the way down there. The whole chapter is fantastic. Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And this is where the key, this last sentence. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, that is a statement of humility, not pride. Do not be haughty, but uh, be humble. But it's also telling us to have others look upon us and help us. We need other people to come to us and say, what is it I should do? What is it I could do? Now, here's the important thing before I get to the last one is this. We talked about loving and sharing Jesus, correct? We talked about calling, character, community, using our gifts. Bringing them together, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, loving and devoted to him, you will want to share him. You will love him and want to share him. That is a fact. That's not a spiritual gift, that's just a reality. How you play out that love and sharing Christ is all of us do it differently because we do have giftedness. Some of you can stand in front of a thousand people and shout it out like I do. Some do it one-on-one. One-on-one is just as good and maybe even better than in front of a thousand. We can all do it, every single one of us. And then we have calling. God has called us. And remember what I said? God has called us to himself, to him, by him, and he has called us to do something for him. Remember that? I keep going two by four, to him, by him, for him. Two by four. The for him, F-O-R, the for him is the spiritual gifts he has given us to use. So you go, what is it? I don't know what your spiritual gift is. That's a part of what you have to do. The Bible says work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. And working it out is saying there's something to do. And there's no age to this. An eight-year-old has spiritual gifts if they're a follower of Jesus. You 80-year-olds, the same. And all of us in between. Don't think it's just this is for the 20s and 30s and 40-year-olds. And somehow when you get to middle age, we're done. We're going to hand it over to everybody else, and we have done. No, the reality is if God gives you breath, do something with it. Live while you live, because one day you won't be living. And when you're not living, don't do what you do when you live. Just don't stop. Unbelievable, just don't stop. And then he says character. So we have love and share Jesus, we have calling, and then we have character. And that is when God is, those are some of the love, joy, peace, patience, the character qualities we talked about, generosity. And let me share some of the things that are spiritual gifts, by the way, you have a greater gift if you have that spiritual gift, but all of us should do it. So, For instance, generosity, we've all been called to tithe, we've all been called to give. Some have this incredible gift of giving. They know how to give, they know when to give, they know the needs ahead of time. God somehow gives them a sense that that person needs something, that ministry needs something, I need to help them. 
It's amazing. I see people do this. They'll come to me and go, I just know you guys have a need, and they'll name it. And I go, how on earth did you know that? Well, I really, God gave me a sense that I really need to be donating to this or that. That's a beautiful thing. I don't have that necessarily. But some people, but I still give. I still move towards things. I'm still giving because God has called us all to be givers. But some have a greater influence in their giving than others. Some of you are great with evangelism. You, know, you, can, you can lead a stone to Jesus, right? The rocks cry out. You'll be getting the rocks to cry out about Jesus. Again, I'm kidding. Visitors are going, he's nuts. <laughs> no, but there are just people that can talk to anybody about Jesus. And then there's some who can't. There's a slower process. We all need to talk to people about Jesus. Some just have the gift of just doing it, getting out there and, oh, I talked to 12 people today about Jesus. Someone else is going, I'm, I'm good with one a week. But the fact that you're doing is, is what is important. You just do it. And let me tell you, if you don't feel you have the gift of sharing Christ, can I give you a hint on this one? This is what I do. And so I've been doing it for years and it really works. And that is pray for people and then ask people if you can pray for them. Start with prayer, not with Jesus. Start with prayer, not with Jesus. Use prayer to get them to Jesus as opposed to Jesus getting them to prayer. It is an interesting thing. Eventually, you will get to Jesus, and when you get to Jesus, their hearts are prepared for it. I've seen this dozens of times with people. That's how I do it. I love doing it. Every, I do it, it's just amazing. I text people, I just prayed for you. I know their mother is needy. I just prayed for your mother. The most recalcitrant, hated, hates Jesus person is gonna melt eventually when they know there are people who are followers of Jesus that care for their mother who's dying or their daughter who's wayward or their husband who's gone awry. You show a little concern for somebody, which Jesus did, they're gonna know you love them. I just tell you, just do it that way. So you have that, and that's, that's character. That's when your character and your calling come together because you're loving and sharing Jesus. Then we do this in community, and that's what Romans 12 is. Community is this whole, we're one in the Spirit, we're one in the Lord, we're one body, though we're many members. That's what he's talking about because ultimately it all comes together when we use our gifts. If everyone in this room said, I'm not using any of the gifts God has given to me, this church might last a month, maybe. We need you to use your gifts. And can I say, this city needs you to use your gifts. This country needs you to use your gifts. Why? Because the Bible says we are the light of the world. And if a light is hidden under a bushel, what good is it? Hey, I'm a light, I'm under a bushel, who cares? Nobody knows about it. The purpose of light is to be out so that it can illumine something. And you may say, I only illumine a small amount. See, there's two kinds of lights in that passage. There's a lamp, which only illuminates a small room, and there's a lighthouse that illuminates a whole river or a whole port or a whole bay or a whole part of the ocean. You may be a lighthouse, you may be a lamp, it doesn't matter. You need to be illuminating people to Jesus Christ. And don't look at the lighthouses and go, I'm just a little lamp. And you lighthouses, don't look at the little lamps and go, well, they're no good. They're not lighting anything up but a little room. Well, I tell you what, little rooms are where people come to Jesus. 
Lighthouses is where people stop crashing into the rocks. Both are needed. And you are one or the other. Or you're a lighthouse that has been turned off or you're a lamp that has been covered. And if you want to be a disciple, uncover it. And then the last one is this. Follow the fruit. Follow the fruit. What does that mean? I tell you what. When you do what God has called you to do, you are so excited about it. You can't wait till tomorrow morning and get up and do it. And people's lives are being changed. Maybe not hundreds, maybe not thousands, maybe not dozens, maybe just one. I don't know. But the fruit, we will know them, right? We'll know they're Christians by their love. We'll know your gifts by your fruit. It's a beautiful picture of what God has called us to do. And so I'm not here to blame you if you go, I don't even know what my gift is. Let us help you. Come back to the back. Talk to the ladies at the table. They'll take your name down. We'll get some people talking to you. We've got some assessments, some ways to do this. But most of you do know. You do know and just maybe not using it. Many of you are using it. I look at what some of you do and I'm just amazed. I'm so excited because this church values, if, if I can use a very secular word, volunteerism. We value people who get up and say, I am here to help. And when people do that, it is an amazing thing. Do you realize, let me just, and I'm gonna close with this, that the seat you're sitting in has been prayed for this morning multiple times? The seat. People don't know your name. They have gone by your seat and prayed for every one of these this morning. Before eight, before eight o'clock, I get here at 7.30, and the seat's been prayed for. Not the seat, but the person who's going to occupy that seat. That's a gift. That's a gift. It's amazing what you can do. You don't have to be in front of people. The things you can do for Jesus is amazing. And God has called us to use our gifts because we're sinners saved by grace, no longer condemned. And we have been given a gift to stay here, to live here, and to play out our belief in Jesus in front of other people. Yesterday, again, going back to the coronation just for a moment, I was amazed. I'm not Anglican, but I love some of the Anglican traditions. I was amazed at how much scripture was in that coronation. There was a lot of scripture. If you, if you listen to it, the priests were reading scripture. But something was different about this coronation than previous ones. And that is the king, Charles, has said, I, don't, I can't prove it one way or the other, so I'm not judging the man, that he is not a follower of Christ. It's a follower of the church. He's the head of the Church of England. And so he had other religious leaders, the Sikhs and the Hindus and some others, giving him the various vestments, the scepters, the orb, the glove, to handle people well. All this symbolism is so beautiful. But he had other religions giving it to him because 
of the belief that all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. Our road is Jesus, your road is whatever, your road is something else. You don't even believe there's a road. We don't believe that, do we? We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to play out that belief in the way we act. That's our character, but also what we do. That's the use of our gifts. And I just ask you, my friends, use your gifts. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. Let's pray together.